Who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Monday. You're listening to Han Talks First. I'm your host, Han. And uh, it's been a great couple of uh, two weeks we've had recently. I mean, The Rise of Skywalker came out last, uh, last or two weeks ago, and um, it was amazing. We did a, a review, a discussion here on um, the podcast, so if you haven't heard it yet, uh, just go back to last week's episode and check it out. Uh, it was just me, but uh, pretty soon we're going to be having um, some other people on, and we'll do a panel and a discussion and really get in depth on this movie, but I loved it. I've seen it uh, some more since uh, I think I've seen it four times total now. So uh, I, I really love it every single second of it, and I find out something more every single time. And then last week we got the final chapter to the first season of The Mandalorian, and I also loved every second of that. So we were very spoiled, very lucky, very happy this week that we just got so much Star Wars content, and it's kind of sad that it's all kind of over this year you know but you know what it's a brand new year and maybe we're going to get some more content later on i know we got to wait another until fall for the season two of the mandalorian which has been uh i guess officially confirmed but we all knew it was shooting Uh, they're about um halfway done with uh the production process uh so Today we're going to talk about just the total recap of the first season and about the the possibilities of where the show could go in its second season. And yeah, that's about it. Uh, Just something I really wanted to talk about really quickly about The Rise of Skywalker itself was I've been listening to a lot of the uh, after-screening Q&As and interviews with some of the people that worked on the film and I'm just finding out so many things behind the scenes that are just so fascinating about this movie. One of which, for example, is... Um, the costume design. Uh, the lead uh, costume designer, I forget his name, but I was listening to an interview with him uh, after one of the screenings, and he was saying um, how some of his favorite costumes that were designed were the ones for the, I think they're called Akiaki, Akiakis? Can't remember the name. But the creatures on Pasana, the little squid things um, in the desert scene with the, like, the little Burning Man 42-year celebration Um generation thing that was going on and he was saying that each and every single one of those costumes was handcrafted and hand dyed and that they are all uh, completely different and custom to each one of those alien creatures now what's the most interesting about this is that there were 700 of those made for that for that one scene that one little shot so that, and he was saying that there were actually 700 extras there all acting out as those Akiakis on, in that, um, that little celebration sequence, which makes me so happy because it, it, it kind of explains why it looked real, but it's also just like, there were so many people that worked on this, that their creation got to come to life and it, it looked good. And it, it was, I don't know, I just think that's cool when they rely on practicality over, computer generations to create something and put it on screen. And Star Wars has been known for that, of course. All of them are very handmade, and it shows. Uh, that's one of the things that makes it very special. Uh, you know, like, I, like I've always kind of said on episodes here and there, is that one of the points of this podcast is to try and figure out what makes Star Wars iconic. And, of course, there's going to be different opinions and multiple reasons for of why. But I think one of them now is... 
and always has been, is that uh, these films are very handmade, and they're made with love. And it, it you can see it in the films, and uh, some of it you, you can't just catch right away. Um, but there's so much uh, rich background information about each shot, each design, each creature, and if you and just the love behind it that is uh, that is created. Uh, one of the most interesting things about Star Wars, I think, is that every single creature, ship, planet, um, piece of fabric on someone's clothes, everything has a backstory. So every and one of the things that lends these creators um, uh, their um, you know ability to be openly creative about it is that each each department is given the responsibility to come up with a a background of of what they're creating. So uh, the ship designers will create a reason why the the wings on them are are shaped a certain way um and what what battles it's been through and who created it and etc and then the same for the costume department. They'll decide who wears it and what the cultural significance is of some of the colors and um the way it lays on on the people that are wearing it and etc. So I think that's one of the things that makes uh, not just the Rise of Skywalker, but all of the saga films, um, very iconic, is just the handcrafted love and attention to detail. So aside from that, I really don't have anything else to talk about with the Rise of Skywalker. I will soon, don't worry. But now we're just going to talk about The Mandalorian Season 1. Uh, I know I didn't cover every single episode, and that's because, well, there's it's, that would just require a lot of time, <laughs> time of which I don't have. I would have loved to, but... And honestly, there's so much uh, in the show that is kind of already self-explained, and there's tons of other people out there that are reviewing these and breaking everything down, and I'm not really, I don't want to be like an Easter egg podcast, I just kind of want to talk about how, how it makes me feel and some of the significance between themes, characters, and possibility of where it could go and connection to canon. So this won't be a breakdown of Easter eggs that were in... The season one, although I might talk about some of them, some that stood out to me, but um, this will be more of um, a discovery of the characters and analysis of the story and where I think that the show is going to go. So chapter eight opens up with two stormtroopers, the two that have uh, that uh, captured Baby Yoda from Quill and killed him, and they're waiting outside the perimeter of uh, that home world to the Mandalorian, uh, to wait orders to bring him into uh, Moff Gideon. And it, it starts with uh, their, their like little banter on uh, just kind of like, what, what are they waiting for? Can I see the baby? Stuff like that. You've seen it. And uh, I thought the humor in it was great. I was a little worried at first because I knew Taika Waititi was directing this. He directed Thor Ragnarok. And I, while I am a fan of his, I was very concerned that he would bring a lot of uh, humor to this show that wasn't necessarily important. So it started off with the, the classic Taika Waititi humor, uh, which was very funny and, and cute. And I love the bit about when they were shooting um, the can for like target practice and they kept missing. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but I was worried since that scene kind of drug on for a little bit. I was worried that if the wonder if this whole show is going to be like it, um, but it didn't. And uh, I really, that, that just made it all work for me. So it was nice to have that little, section of them just kind of uh talking so we can get in the mindset of what stormtroopers like what do they talk about during the day when they're not you know in in like the scene with the main characters 
Uh, so I liked it. And of course I really loved, I thought it was hilarious when he was just like, um, can we come in now and bring the baby to you? And then he was just like, uh, well, he just killed another person because you interrupted him. (laughs) So funny. So anyway, you know how it plays out. You've watched the episode. I'm not going to break down every single like beat in this, in this thing, but I I do want to talk about real quickly about, um, the droid IG 11, how he was recreated in episode seven. Or at least we got the backstory of why he was recreated. And Quill remade him to be a nursing droid for the... Well, not He didn't make him to be a nursing droid. He just eventually adapted into that. But he was rebuilt, reprogrammed to help Quill with his farm. So he's essentially just a piece of equipment. And I really love that montage. It was one of my favorite moments. It was kind of weird because upon first watch, I, I thought it was going to turn into a comedy sketch and but it didn't and it, it remained serious um and the reason i thought that initially was because he, he's giving this monologue to the mandalorian and kara and it's it's rather long so if you think about it without the visual of the the background history the montage that's going on he's kind of just sitting there explaining to them and it it kind of felt a little weird just to, if you think back and think about how he's having that conversation to them and he's, it's almost like he's, he's narrating. It was just, it was funky. But ultimately, I went back and watched it a second time, and I loved it. It was one of my favorite moments. And then we were also introduced in number seven to Moff Gideon himself. And I love, love, love this character. I didn't think I would either. Um, this show has a nag, to, has a tendency to do that for me. Uh, it introduces a bunch of things that I do not think I'm going to like at first, and then ultimately I do. And uh, uh, Cara Dune is another example. I really wasn't interested in <laughs> anything she had to be a part of with the story, but ultimately now I am, and I, I think she's a great contribution to it. Um, but yeah, Moff Gideon is great. I love the way he he talks. He, he's just a, a, a high uh, vocabulary, knowledgeable person, and uh, I love the way he communicates, and uh, he's very calm in demeanor as well, and that kind of that just adds to his uh, threatening presence on screen and you can really tell that he's the bad guy and like he he's he's got a plan and he knows what he's doing and it shows as well because he knows everyone's names so he's way ahead of the game he's like okay I, before i go out and just be haste and uh do something about a problem i'm gonna do my research and get to know everything about the situation so uh, i think there's a lot to learn about moff gideon that is very um important to the essence of, of the story. And I think we'll get at that more in season two. However, what, one thing I don't want to see in season two is um, flashbacks of Moff Gideon uh, coming to the point of the story where they're currently at. I really don't like flashbacks in TV shows. It, it I feel, I don't know. I don't have a reason. I just, it feels, I mean, I already have a problem with television being kind of slow paced and I understand why. And then when you throw in a flashback, it just kind of seems like a filler at some points. You know, the the flashback we continuously get in uh, this first season is of the Mandalorian as a child. And we get a, a small sliver of it each episode until we finally get the full uh, flashback story in the last two episodes. And really, it, we really didn't need it to be that long and dragged out through eight chapters it was it was it was kind of redundant after a while and i think showing it the first time was plenty because 
later on you realize the reason we got that flashback was to figure out why he doesn't trust droids, and it's because the droids killed um, his parents and were trying to kill him in Attack of the Clones. And uh, it seems like that wasn't made clear because a lot of people are still confused as to why he doesn't like droids, so that's, that's your reason right there. Now, on that subject, uh, he doesn't like IG-11 uh, when he's reprogrammed because of he was trying to kill the child. And I, I really like that uh, relationship there because ultimately, he, in the end, he has, he's forced to work with him because Quill is just like, if you want my help, you gotta, you got to let your feelings go about droids and let this droid help us take care of the child and just kind of trust the judgment at that point. And we know, we know that the droid uh, protects a child and one of the reasons he, wants, he brings him back to the Mandalorian in chapter eight is because he knows the best way to protect the child is to put him in the hands of a father figure, which at the very end of the show becomes the Mandalorian officially. And I loved how he showed his face to IG 11 because he didn't want to. And then we had that whole back and forth about how he like, I can't show it to anyone, any living person. I just can't do that. And then IG 11 just like, well, I'm not a living thing. So you can show me your face. Um, it shows the commitment of the Mandalorian, and it also uh, shows the reliability of this droid. So this is a turning point for this character, and he takes the helmet off, and then the IG-11 helps fix him with some batha, uh, batha like cream or something, <laughs> rub rub lotion on his back of his head, and um, and then uh, they they keep going, and they go through the the sewers, and then then they get to the uh, lava tunnel with the stream or whatever and then when ig11 says that he's going to make the sacrifice to help save everyone there so they can get on with the on the road um the mandalorian is like wait no don't do that and he he's just it shows that he's been in that helmet for so long no one's seen his face that the second he shows his face to someone he's attached to that person on an intimate level and he was to ig11 and i think that was a great arc from the beginning when um his uh you know it was brought up that he doesn't like droids and now the one thing he showed his face to was a droid and then he gets close to that droid and the best way for me to explain it to you guys so you can understand a little better is the mandalorian metaphorically has been a virgin for 37 years and now he finally gives up his flower by showing his face to this droid and then the droid wants to leave well he's he's like emotionally attached now he's he's all in it and <laughs> this is the droid that took his face virginity and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to lose it he's 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 got this emotional connection to it and then it goes away so i i really like that um that whole idea behind that uh, i know that was probably like one of the worst metaphors i could have thought of <laughs> But you get it now, right? So <clears throat> the reason why I think it's interesting for the future of this show is because eventually he's going to show his face to somebody else. And when he does, that means we, we know now that he's going to be very attached to that person. Um, so I don't think the first person he shows it to is going to be Baby Yoda, honestly. I, I think it's going to be probably a villain. I think that could make it interesting. Um, I don't know. So that, that's one of the, the best parts about this chapter I, I really liked. Um, I'm going to counter that with something I didn't like, was the fact that um, Car- Cara Dune was saying that, you know, Mandalorian's not a race or a religion, it's a creed. 
and I don't like it being a model of that. While that may be true, it's not necessarily factual as far as I know. Um, I had never heard that, and I, I feel like the people of Mandalore have been called Mandalorians by the fact that they belong to that planet. And I don't know, it just felt kind of odd to me. It almost feels like they're trying to uh, connect the fact that Boba Fett was a Mandalorian. And for those of you that don't know, Boba Fett was not a Mandalorian, nor was Jango Fett. Um, Boba Fett's was stolen armor. Jango Fett, uh, I don't really know the backstory there, but I, I used to know it and I'll do my research later and I'll bring it back to you guys so you can understand. So, I don't know, I just, I don't like the idea of it being a creed because I, I really like the idea of the Mandalorians being a people. Um, while it's not that big of a deal and it honestly doesn't make that big of a difference either way, I just, I felt it kind of odd that they said that. Um, on the topic of Jango Fett, um, the spelling of Django is, you know, J-A-N-G-O. And, but it's, uh, it was originally written, uh, that was his name because, uh, George Lucas based it off the, the Western character known as Django with a, with a silent D at the beginning of it. And Django wasn't, it was a series of uh, films, and Django was the name of a bounty hunter in this series of films. They were none of them were connected, but Django was a name that most bounty hunters would be given in old school '60s, '70s westerns, mainly in um, Italian westerns. Django was a very popular name, and um, or you can just think about it as the 2012 Django Unchained with Jamie Foxx, but. Um, so that's why um, George Lucas decided to name uh, Boba Fett's dad Django was because of that. And I think a really nice callback to that and a callback to the original Django Westerns was the fact that w- the name Jinjarin of the Mandalorian was revealed and the D in Jarin was um, a silent D. Uh, it was a really cool callback that I don't think uh, really, anybody has caught yet. I haven't noticed anyone talking about it. Um, the reveal of his name was kind of... Uh, I was a little disappointed because Pedro Pascal had released it already. He he said it... I mean, you guys know, I, I said it on a podcast a couple uh, weeks ago that Pedro Pascal said the name of his character. Um, while there's nothing significant about his name or where that family name comes from, I just really would have liked to hear it for the first time in the show. So... But now everybody knows the name, and uh, we'll find out what Jin is going to do in uh, the future episodes. Maybe give his name to... Well, now everyone else will call him by his name, because everyone knows it now. Or at least uh, Carl Weathers and Cara Dune know it. Griff. Is it Griff or Grief? Damn it. Every time... <laughs> every time... I can't, I can't remember this guy's name, you know? That's so frustrating for me. Okay. So... What else happened in, in chapter 8 here? Um, ooh, my favorite moment, probably. Actually, yes, my favorite moment. Not just in chapter 8, but my favorite moment in the entire show was when um, he, he's on the jetpack, he breaks down the, the TIE fighter, and the TIE fighter falls at the end with the one that Moff Gideon's in, and then it crashes, and then he's 
it shows uh, the jaw was like tearing it apart. I thought that was really funny. And then it shows him trying to get out. And I was watching it with my girlfriend and, um, and her brother. And they were just like, is it going to be a lightsaber? And I was like, why would there be a lightsaber? I mean, I, I just don't see them doing that. And then the shot came out and we were like, oh, okay, it's a lightsaber. And um, I don't get very audibly re- reacted to things on screen that often that I watch. But when the second that blade shot out of the um, the cockpit, I was like, is that the dark saber? And sure enough, it he busts through the door and he was holding it up and it was the dark saber and it looked fucking amazing. I love how they made it look like the in the animated show, how it doesn't look, um, it kind of looks kind of crappy, you know, it looks like a bad visual effect when honestly that's how the dark saber looks it's just this very cartoonish blade and it's not it's te- i guess technically it's not a lightsaber uh depends on who you ask i would i would call it a lightsaber because it could go up against another lightsaber and uh, but then again that kind of wouldn't that make that stormtrooper's weapon a lightsaber as well uh, i don't know Okay, so anyway, the dark saber—it's—it's it's in existence. It—it's now like kind of officially <laughs> live-action canon, and I fucking love it. I'm so happy. I'm really excited to see what happens there. Now, something I um have said to many friends is that I think this means that Moff Gideon is going to be the leader of the Mandalorian people now, and the reason behind that is because in the past and everything we've seen in the animated shows has been that he or she who uh, wields the dark saber is the, uh, the leader of the Mandalorians. And while it's, it's kind of a very, um, an odd uh, way to, uh, to pay respect to a leader. That's how the Mandalorian culture works is um, it's not just anyone that picks it up. It's that, uh, the uh, the king of Mandalore, for example, if if they um, if someone challenges them uh, to be the next the the next ruler, then they have to go into a duel, and the king will use the dark saber, and they will battle. And if the the um, the rival wins, then they take the saber, and that that's that's the symbol that they uh, symbolism that they are now the ruler. So, but. The point we're at in this story is years past any of this previous uh, cultural standards has been. So, And we know that there was a purge. We don't know exactly what happened or when it happened, but there was a purge. Does that mean all the uh, uh, the traditions are out the window because there's nothing left to follow and Mandalorians are, is kind of like a broken, uh, separate faction of people now in different clans? I, I don't know. Uh, but I think it would be very, very interesting to see that Moff Gideon is now the official, rightful, symbolic leader of the Mandalorian people. And uh, I feel like it, there might be like a clan of Mandalorians that that um, are loyalists to the Darksaber and ultimately are the followers of Moff Gideon and support him. And there will kind of be his, his Mandalorian army. Um, but the Mandalorian himself, Jaren won't want to follow and be a loyalist to the... the, It's kind of like almost like an Old Testament slash New Testament. The people that follow the old ways will follow Moff Gideon and the other set of Mandalorians who are, um, you know, 
post-purge mentality are just going to find a, a way to make new traditions and a, a new following. And I think that could apply also to the reason why they like to cover their faces, because we know in the television shows from animation that they have their helmets off all the time, and everyone knows what their faces look like. So again, that could be uh, this whole idea of uh, Old Testament followers and New Testament followers of the Mandalorian Creed. Um, So there's a lot that could be contradicted, but there's also a lot that we don't know that happened in the history of of Mandalore, uh, which I hope we get in Season 2. That's one thing that I would like a flashback of. And uh, I think uh, what I what I don't like about flashbacks is when they're very character based. But as far as like setting up a history of a land or a people or um, uh, a planet or something, uh, that's when we get a flashback of. It's almost like the prologue to a story, like millions of years ago, or a galaxy far, far away. You know, uh, this happened and this happened and this happened, and it's very, very. Um, it's very brief. Um, it's somewhat vague, but it gives you a lot of information in a little bit of time. So that's what I would like to see. And I'm sure we'll get a lot of that through dialogue and stuff. But uh, I guess overall, this show was great. Season one was fantastic. I love how each episode was its own adventure. And while some people consider a few of the episodes to be filler episodes, I don't see it that way. I think each one is its own adventure. And there's just this this very thin line running through of what the main story is going to be about. And I was nervous we weren't going to get an idea of what exactly the point to the show was. I, mean, I don't mean the point of, like, enjoyment or the point of uh, making the series, but the point of us continuing to invest ourselves in these people. And that is that we are going to learn the origins of this baby Yoda. And uh, that's it. That's the point. That's the point of the show now, is that there's this species that has been in the Star Wars existence for 40-some years, and now we're finally going to get into the neat greedy and figure out probably what planet they're from, why they're Force-sensitive, what the species name is, um, why they talk backwards, and... Uh, I think that's probably the best way to get into it. So the show is really, I mean, it's called The Mandalorian, but uh, I've seen a bunch of memes where it's like it should be called Baby Yoda, which is kind of true. But um, I don't know. I really like how the show is going so far. Um, So the last thing I'll talk about is the music. Um for those of you that don't know, I'm a musician, uh, so that's kind of one of the first uh, a few things that I focus on uh, first when I'm watching something. And the music at the beginning, I wasn't really a fan of. it. I've, uh, I've said before, it, it felt kind of random and out of place and uh, um, just didn't work for me, and it felt like it was trying to figure out what it wanted to do. And it progressed throughout the show. Once season, what episode, uh, sorry, chapter five, once that aired, uh, I really found a connection with the music and I thought it worked very well. And then it got better and better through six, seven, and eight. And we started to get away from that techie feel, which is kind of what 
uh, Ludwig van Gorsen wanted to ground in this series and make unique to it. Um, and he kind of went away from it. And I'm, I'm very curious as to why he did that. It might be a um, compliment to a, a parallel with the, the story itself, but I don't know. Um, but currently, uh, towards the end of the series, it finally got to where it needs to be uh, as far as an original take on a classic score. Now, the one thing I, I really will kind of say about the last shot of this, the one thing that could have made it better was the if they use the same score that was at the end of every last shot of the movies, just the... And then it goes into the fanfare. That would have made an excellent, excellent mood for that final shot. I don't remember what was played the last time. It was probably the... the um, the main theme for this movie, the bum, which is also very good, and I really love it. Um, but that's just that's that was the one thing that I really wish would have would have brought back that original score and made that shot uh, more memorable, more iconic, and just it would have felt like Star Wars. So there, there's parts of this that I, I do dislike the music, and I'm not saying that the music is bad. The music is excellent. It's done very very well. I love the minimalism of it. It sounds like a romantic uh, orchestral piece of music, but really it's it's very minimal as far as like instrumentation, yet it, it sounds full and uh, in charge, and I really love I love that about it. So the, the music is phenomenal. However, there are parts of it that I don't feel really match this, this um, not the series, but Star Wars. It works with the the series very well. I realize that they're trying to kind of separate themselves from the movies as much as possible, which is understandable. But um, I think the thing that makes Star Wars Star Wars is the music, and trying to get away from that is going to get away from being uh, Star Wars itself. So, again, back to the theme of this podcast. Uh, One of the things that makes Star Wars iconic is the music. Um, If you guys are interested more of my thoughts on the music of Star Wars. I actually had an episode on where we talked all things music. I did it with a friend with a friend of mine who I've played music with for years and we talked all about it and we broke down uh, certain pieces from every and all movies that have come out in Star Wars. So please go check that out. Um, it's a very interesting podcast and one that I was very proud of. But that's it, guys. That, that was it. Um, Mandalorian Season 1 is done, and we got a, about a little less than a year to wait for Season 2, and it's awesome. I would love to hear what you guys think. Please send me your thoughts, and um, stay tuned because we're going to have some more of the Rise of Skywalker talk. I'm going to have some people on here soon. If you guys remember Zach from uh, my second episode ever when we discussed the top 10 iconic moments in Star Wars. Well, he's coming back, and we're going to talk The Rise of Skywalker. So please um, tell your friends about this show so we can get them into it. And um, now, somehow, someway, somewhere this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.